0: Welcome to Let's Talk Business. I'm your host, James Price. This podcast has been designed to address business pain points, often neglected, but if dealt with correctly, can really enhance business value and performance. I've had over 30 years experience in business, and I currently own JPA Business Proprietary Limited, a business valuation, advisory, and transaction firm. We help private business clients across Australia and internationally grow, change and enhance the value of their businesses. Welcome back to Let's Talk Business Podcast. I'm your host James Price. We're here today with a special guest, Daniel Dewis. He's Director Information Technology at Nielsen. Nielsen are a global company and they've been around for a long long time and they're involved in the media, content and audience assessment and tracking I guess. Um, They're the company behind the scenes figuring out who's listening and viewing what. Daniel's an interesting character and um, I've known him for a few years now. I can count him as a friend. Um, He's a budding uh, marathon person. Um, He's also a closet entrepreneur. He's involved in a bunch of different things and his specialty let me tell you, is information technology. Welcome, Dan. It's great to have you on board.
1: Thank you, James. It's good to be on board.
0: Yeah, no, it's lovely to, it's lovely to see you and someone, uh, someone from the local area, someone from Western Sydney, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, so look, I, um, I'm interested to talk about Nelson a little bit in the context of what's happened in that media space. But you've been with them for about 14 years, I think. Now is that that's roughly correct. roughly right? Yeah, that's correct. That's so correct. so prior to that, look, I did a bit of research, but you know, you never know. I might have got my numbers wrong, but I think you studied at Western Sydney Uni, right?
1: Correct. And yeah. and, and information technology. So I did a I did a bachelor in information technology, yeah. and I did a major in e business.
0: E business,
1: which is essentially e business e commerce yeah. in that sense, um, which was back in the days was kind of the instigator of digital, the digital workspace.
0: Yeah, okay, so how did you get into that? Why did you do that particular uni degree? I mean, I'm interested to know.
1: So it actually started from um, my year 10 working experience, where um, I had a family friend who actually ran an IT business. Yeah. It was all run from home, but he was going out to site and seeing customers and clients and whatnot, came back home and built PCs and whatnot. So I had a a one-week working experience in year 10, um, and I decided to just do it with them. Yeah. And he was a one-man show, and um, I was, you know, Know, learning about computers, putting computers together and whatnot. Um, and it just seemed to grab my attention. Yeah. And yeah. I enjoyed that part of it. And I think since, since year 10, I knew that I wanted to be in IT um, yeah. and have some sort of um, relevance or connections to technology in one way or shape, thinking that you know, um, everything needs IT and I guess I didn't think that far ahead back then. No, um, no. But as, as I started even to go through my, you know, year 11, year 12 in high school, um, it just became more apparent that pretty much anything that you did or there was any industry that you would be in or you seek service from, they would need IT in some sort of shape.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So... Well, I just thought
0: there was value. But Dan, what is IT? It's, it look, it's, it's hard for me now, even now, and it's more prevalent in our lives, right? Yeah. Back in the day, back in those days, you were talking about. I used to think of IT as some, you know, wild planet over here, out of it, you know, in another universe. Yeah. But now in business, like like it's it's just integrated into the business. But but what is it? What what is it? Is it Is it the movement of information? Is it, you know, is it the collecting of information? Is it, is it automation?
1: I mean, yeah, do you have a- So the way I kind of summarize it, and it's kind of, it's not the, historically was never the perception. IT, I guess in any business was always kind of considered to be a cost center, right? They were the guys that sat in a closed closet room uh, and if you wanted some help because your computer broke down or whatever, you went to the IT team and they helped you or they fixed you, and you begged, you know, that they did it for you quickly, <laughs> and you'd be nice to the IT guys because you know they're gonna maybe you know give you a good computer or you know, yeah, make sure yeah, exactly. that all your computer problems are dealt with. But I think that now that that's shifted uh, the other way now, where for me technology is an enabler. Yeah. In order to. Uh, to generate more revenue for a business and it doesn't matter what line of business you're in technology is an enabler of efficiency of uh, you know improvement in your you know your workplace Um, it's not necessarily you know some companies look at it as a threat or people look at it as a threat thinking well technology is going to take over my job yeah Um, and you know I had a very interesting um chat not long ago about, you know, chat GPT and AI and kind of all those tools. And it's kind of like, well, this is going to take over. We're going to be yeah. stupid. Our kids are going to have no way of uh, knowing how to write an essay or a report or respond because they're just using these automated tools to, you know, to
0: do, them, do to what do we would them. otherwise have done
1: manually. Um, but I kind of always look at it as not a threat rather an opportunity yeah. and embracing it rather than fearing it. Yeah. Um, so for me, technology has always been the the backbone to support where I'm going in the sense of making me more efficient, yeah. automating uh, my workloads. And it means that then I could do more of the things that I know I can do, and the things that I am good at. So if you're a business owner, the last thing you want to do is sit there and try to do things manually versus being out and being a specialty that maybe you, you know, you're yeah, the owner, yeah, yeah. So you want to go out meet clients and you know be very um, be very sociable with people because this is the way that you build your business yeah. and technology is there to enable you to you know do all the back office stuff while you go out and do the things that you're good at
0: now, i think that's interesting because you know what i often talk about with our guests here is that elite business owners are very good at figuring out what they do really well, what they they can, the essence of the value they add to the business. And to use your example, it might be, you know, that they're front and center with their clients developing business. That's what they're the best at, right? So what you're saying is, you know, IT and technology of today allows a business to effectively handle all the support functions in a productive and consistent way, uh, and make the business owner look good at what they do Absolutely. well, right? Um, so, so if you think about yeah, you know, back when you you know studied it versus now, I guess is it fair to say one of the interesting things about technology it's it's come it's come down to the rump of small and mid-sized business, and it's more attainable. Like I imagine back in those days, there were you know there was still there's still a word about mainframes and, you know, big company <laughs> IT, right? Yeah. yeah? yeah. So it's, it, it's now, you know, something that can actually be utilised by, you know, a tradesperson that's a, a single owner, you know, of a, a plumbing business yeah. or a manufacturing firm that might be a, you know, small to mid-sized biz, yeah? Or a big company. Well, you think about the disruption
1: that technology has brought on. People call it disruption and I call it opportunities. Mm-hmm or the um so giving a lot more people the opportunity to establish a business to establish an idea or to yeah. build on an idea yeah, yeah. without having to have the backing of a larger organizations because they don't have the facilities or the resources themselves as a small business or even just as an idea yeah so if, if, if I was, you know, an entrepreneur and I had some idea that I wanted to execute and see if this idea had legs or not, you know, if it was building an app, I could probably build an app now in two to three weeks at most, you know, with a bit of wireframes and whatnot. I could build an app and then give it to maybe share it with some family and friends and say, guys, could you use it? Let me know. That's generally how any small kind of business starts off. Yeah. You've got the support of family and friends because essentially this is the trust is already established in any you know, business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you, know, you get more business from people that already trust you and generally it starts off with the family and friends. So I don't need to spend that much money. I don't need to spend 100,000 or 200,000 to build an application before I can even trial it with family and friends where now you could be doing that in a fraction of the price. Yeah. So I don't need to know the core, I don't need to be a developer, I don't need to be a specialist in 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 this element, but I could engage with a lot more people at a much more reasonable prices and be able to get an idea off the ground a lot quicker than what it would have taken me 10 years ago, even five years ago.
0: That's exciting, um, isn't it? Like. Um... I mean, what advice would you give a business, Let, let's say, I don't know, let's say they manufacture window dressings, blinds and what have you, right? So so they do it for the domestic market. They actually manufacture the product, the different window dressings, and they they sell to the home renovators and, uh, you know, new housing market. So, you know, they've got builders and interior designers and other tradies that, that purchase off them for, you know, for that market. So a small business, it might be... I don't know, three mil turnover, you know, 500, 600, 700,000 profit in a good year, for instance, Um, you know, a fictitious business sitting here in Western Sydney. Um, Let's say they've all manual, pretty much. Um, They have perhaps an accounting system that's, 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 uh, you know, could be mild, could be QuickBooks. And that's about all they do. Uh, from a technology perspective where does a business like that start do you think right so they're they're not a startup they've been going for many years but they haven't necessarily taken the steps of embracing IT yeah. is, is there a are there a few clues and tips around you know how to how to jump into the pool and and, and swim that, that you would
1: there are there are there, there, there's quite a few um, and it generally it starts in in, in my view um, it starts right at the top. And it, it starts from the management side and where, what they are, what they envision the business is going and the direction yeah. the business is going. Yeah. Um, if the business is in a growth state or the business is on a really steady state of, you know, of you know, if it's been established for a number of years. Um, but generally you'd look at the people and the repetitive processes in the business so you may have three or four or five different departments. You know, if it's any small business, they might have a you know, HR. If there is, then maybe one person, yeah. or maybe there isn't any, it's outsourced potentially. Um, then they might have a sales team, they might have a marketing team, then they might have like a factory team that are doing you know, yeah. labourers, operating machinery and whatnot. But you look at assessment of all those departments and then you look at all of the repeatable processes that people are doing and could any of those repeatable processes be automated yeah right now there's obviously the fear initially of no this is going to change this is going to take over my job this is going to yeah where when things come from the top and it's the way that you know you do change management and leaders actually where they really excel it's about how much change they're able to do but also take people along the journey with them yes so in any you know successful business um, change could come from the top or it could come from the bottom, um, depending on which way it comes from. There's always ways in you being able to upskill and retrain yeah. people and take them on the journey to make their life easier in order for them to focus on the things that they are good at. Now, they don't want to be folding a box, uh, you know, for 10 hours a day and so forth. They, wanna, they surely have other skills that they can leverage. But because it takes them 10 hours, because they have to follow this X, Y, and Z, they're unable to focus yeah, right. on the things that they enjoy. So, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit of a, a, a side topic. Um, you know, but I've, I've gone through this a number of times within people. And it's more about, for me, it's always been about focusing on the strength of people. Yes. and leveraging their strength, and training them on their strength, rather than training them on their weaknesses.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Um, you know, I think I've, I, I was one of those individuals myself, okay. until I made that leap, and kind of crossed the other side of stop trying to improve, or try, stop working on your weakness. It's not bad to know the weakness, but it's good to actually focus on your strength Yes. because this is where you enjoy what you're doing and it doesn't feel like it's you're doing work or a chore or a task rather something that you embrace.
0: Yeah, I like that. that that's, um, I mean, it's so simple and kind of almost obvious, but, but I'm, I haven't heard it said very often, Dan, right? Like, I mean, if you looked at your strength, what's the number one for you?
1: So to be brutally honest, I'm a networker. So I I talk to people quite a lot. Yeah. Um, And within any person, for me, it's just being genuine about who I am. Yes. And for me, at the end of the day, every single person is just as human as I am. Yeah. Every single person in one way or shape has some sort of emotional connection that I could establish depending on what part of life that they 're in yeah. whether it 's about family whether it 's about interests whether it 's about hobbies whether it 's about you know, various you know topics and whatnot um, we 're all human yeah so we all connect together it 's just about finding which connection is more suitable with those people, mm. and from there, I find it as a way or a leeway to actually establish um, long lasting um, relationships uh, professionally or non-professionally, yes. like friendships. Yeah. Um, but essentially for me that then helps me not have to know everything because I'm great at certain things, Yes. but I'm also greater with the people that I'm surrounded by and the people that are able to support me in those specialties. Yeah, very so interesting. Yeah. My approach has always been in life, and I think more, you know, quite more recently, yeah. is um, I have a skill and you have a skill. We do a barter style <laughs> system where you look after me in the thing that you know, and I look after you in the thing that you know. Yeah. And I think over the past 20 years...
0: It works uh, all right, It eh? works well. Okay. So, so is it more important if you, you say the past 20 years, for instance, is it more important, um, or was it more important 20 years ago, or, or is it more important today? If you reflect on the, the, the world we live in, both both as individuals, but, but also as business people. I mean, is networking, you know, a, a critical thing? Or is it, is it is, are there a bunch of other things that are more important
1: today? So networking is certainly a critical thing, but that doesn't negate you having any sort of interest or skill or knowledge. Yeah. So, you know as, as I, I know, as I kind of alluded to earlier is that I'm an IT guy, so I was in tech for a very long time. Yeah. I enjoyed tech and I enjoyed uh, certainly certain elements of tech. Yeah. So I continued to improve my skills in the things that I didn't know too much about but I had a lot of interest in. And As I continued to grow in my career and in life and kind of changed the mindset of continue to grow my strength rather than grow my weaknesses, then I focused on certain elements of tech that I really enjoyed and continued to master the craft of knowing it really well. Yeah. That then means that then I've got something of value that somebody else might want. Yeah. If I could network with people, that's great. But if I've got no value to bring to the table, then what do they see as value for me to? So you're to saying area? it's a
0: two. It's, very, it's got to be a two-way street. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you you're, you're intimating yeah. that uh, I think in a you know, really refined way identify the value the person that you're networking with has, but also be sure to identify the value that you can provide, right? And so networking isn't just about talking to people. Um, it's, it's, it's more strategic than that. Uh, absolutely, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. And, and I've got to say is that uh, you, know, you surround yourself with people who, you know, probably bluntly saying, who are better than you, in a way of I'm now always looking to be inspired by such people and trying to learn and grow from potentially their experiences or the way that they may have done things or they have you know, gone through experiences in life yeah. and I'm yet to go through that or I may have you know, had oversight of such things. Um, so it's always kind of look at what is out there like continue to dream big and you know there's still an element of being content yeah with what you have in life um it's not always materialistic or about how much money you have in the bank no uh, or about how what car i'm driving or what house i live in but more about what life am i living in and what satisfaction do i get out of it yeah Um, you know if i was to lose everything today what would happen to me would I be have nobody? Because the people I'm surrounded by saw me as maybe a successful
0: yeah, cash yeah, cow. Yeah. And now yeah. that
1: I've lost everything, <laughs> I've got nobody. <laughs> to got got nobody. Me, or am I gonna be surrounded with you know support and love from those people that I'm surrounded by that are gonna be able to pick me back up again?
0: Yeah, I mean and that's that's pretty neat, isn't it? Like it's on the one side to improve, uh, as humans with and as business people we've got to aspire to you know a, a, le- a better level, whatever that might be, and however we define it. And I think continuous improvement as part of a business environment or a personal environment is is a significant, um, dare I say, healthy driver. But then on the other side of that coin is the contentment piece, isn't it? Um, and the environment you're creating for yourself, come what may in good times and bad, and the extent to which that environment supports you in those times and is, and has your back and is there for you. Like sometimes those two two parts can, you know, can be a little bit of friction, right? But, but you know, I guess what, that, you're suggesting that you need to strive for both
1: absolutely, and I think um, the contentment is one element, but also the people that you are surrounded by or the network that you have. I think you can be aspired from anybody, and it's not necessarily um, you know I, I I could spin off a number of examples of people that aspire yeah. me who are actually much younger than me yeah um, now they they may not. Have the the capital wealth uh, class as I am, but they are definitely quite inspiring for me. Yeah. Um. In a way that they um their motivation level, their 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 attitude to yeah. to going and giving things a go, even if it means that it, it could fail. Um, you know, and you know, I continue to be inspired by people, young entrepreneurs, yes. who I, you know, I'm, I'm slowly getting a lot more of those people surrounding me as well. Um, not that they are going to be learning from me, I guess, but I'm actually learning a lot more from them.
0: Well, yeah, um, I, I don't know. You're, uh... you're, you know, I think I'd hold the mirror up to you and, and what you said about, about the network piece, right? Yeah. Because I'm sure there's value on both sides, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what sticks a relationship together. Absolutely. Yeah? yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting um, your perspective on that and, and also your perspective on building up your strength. Um, and if we focus on that fictitious example um, just one last time, you know, I think I got the feeling of saying, right, in that company, identify the strengths of the individuals. You know, make sure they're focusing on those and, and, and start as a manager in the business to identify the areas that are weaknesses, all the areas and or that can be you know, repetitive and can be automated and probably i'm sensing from what you said that you know approach it in an incremental Absolutely. way Absolutely.
1: yeah i think uh before you know technology there's a solution for every problem but it's about the way that you take people on the journey yeah. and at the end of the day technology is never the barrier it's the people and as any, you know, um, successful business owner knows, the people are their assets. Yeah. And without these people, they have no business, essentially. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, kind of, you know, there's, there's always a lot of those ones that say, well, it's all right, I can fire everybody today and you know, I'll be right. Yeah, it might be okay for a week or a month or six, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. So, you know, people are your best assets and, you know, if, you know in, any corporate or even small business, large business, medium, uh, the people are the ones that make the business what it is. Yeah. So how do you take the people on the journey? Yeah. And execute on it? Uh, generally, people are against change. Yeah. Uh, so immediate change could be detrimental. And uh, it could also give the bad perception that actually, because of technology, that's what happened to the business versus actually, it's the people that had a lot more control in it, but the people just were not taken on the journey.
0: Uh, you know, I think you're spot on there. And, and I've seen and been involved with a bunch of implementations of new uh, information technology systems in businesses, large and small and rather than going to some specific you know, war stories, which some of them are horrible because they involve, you know, millions of dollars spent and little productivity gain in the first three years and a lot of hardship, right? But there's a lot of learnings in that. But I think you've encapsulated the learnings. Unless you've got the people on board and in support and as champions, you know, it doesn't matter what you spend on IT, you're not you're not going to deliver the, the the optimum result. I mean, it's a bit like the analogy of the tradesman uh, or, or tradesperson using their tools effectively. If, you're good, if you give them new tools, they've got to be convinced that the tool is, be- is better than the last one, yep. so that they'll use it frequently yep. um, and it'll be worth the investment. Yeah?
1: Um, Spot on. yeah. And technology is no different, even with technology experts. So I have um, had a number of challenges actually, even in corporate business, where um, there might be a perception that uh, you know, some of the competitors are using such big tools and brands and whatnot. Uh, and it's like we have to be on board. We have to be doing the same thing and we have to be using the same you know, big brands and names as everybody in order to show that you know, we are right up there. Yeah. But essentially, it's as a leader, you're not the one operating it. It's the people that are operating it. And if the people aren't comfortable with it, then that actually becomes more of a, a drawback to the yes. business Yes. because it could decrease the productivity because people don't want to touch it. They either don't know it, they're unskilled on it, they're not familiar with it, or they haven't had, they haven't been empowered to be able to actually have a mistake or you know have a problem and be okay. Yeah, because yeah. if you're working in a high pressure environment, well, you're comfortable within your element or within the zone or within the tools that you're familiar with. Yeah. So it's important that a lot of the times, you know, and I do that quite frequently now when I'm making assessments on platforms and tools and whatnot, even with my technology experts, I actually take them on the journey yeah. and let them dictate what value that brings to the environment, to, their, to, to the working of the business rather than let's just go and deploy this and hope, you know, that everybody's using that so it must be great.
0: Shiny things are easy to buy. Absolutely. But but yeah. not necessarily easy to use. Yeah. yeah? So
1: mm-hmm. the idea is that you want to ensure that your people are empowered but your people are leading the way of change in improving and being efficient rather than it coming right from the top.
0: And there's probably, you know, to underline I think a, a core element of a good a good A good business culture right when your people feel like they're accountable and responsible for changing and improving what they're doing rather than having it imposed Um, and as you've intimated sometimes things going backwards rather than forwards yeah but so important in a very competitive market and for those business owners listening to this I think you know the message is embrace technology but don't feel like you've got to you know, eat it all in one sitting. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's an incremental process. You've got to be prepared to put the bricks and, and foundations together over time. You're not going to have a win every time, but you've got to be mapping towards something and you've got to bring your team along with you.
1: I think I, 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 one little example on that specifically I thought about was, um, you know, back in the days when we were growing up and, you know, you're in school. Um, you know, you had assignments and you had whatnot. You had to be in the library you know i remember you know staying back after school or at lunchtime yeah. in the library for hours picking books and trying to get research to the photocopier and photocopying things and whatnot and then all of a sudden I remember the or encyclopedia when they came out and there was you know maybe two computers in the library that had that and you just sat there you typed something and these all this information just popped up and i could yeah. just copy it and it was like, wow, this is game-changing. What's going to happen? And you know, <laughs> there goes the library. And then all of a sudden, that encyclopedia went into, you know, went into the internet came about. And then Yahoo came about. And all uh, browsers back in the days were asked Jeeves and all those little. Yeah. So you just think about it. While it seemed like they were disruptors, they were just tools that enabled us to be more efficient the way that they we did things and they did things so you know we I you know if I if I didn't have to spend two or three hours after school being in the library and whatnot you know that's two or three hours I could have been at home maybe
0: what could I be doing causing trouble with the neighbors for instance yeah but 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 therein lies as enable us to do things better yeah correct yeah absolutely thinking about that but and thinking about those changes, because I think that journey of changes you just you just took us through was very interesting. The 14 years you've had at Nielsen, okay, a media company, how do you describe Nielsen? Uh, I described it at the top of this, but um, yeah, how, how would you describe them in, in the fullest sense? Yep. And, and the next question I have for you related to that is, how have they changed from the time that you joined them 14 years ago to now not so much the company but the environment that the company operates in i'm you know uh, i think that's a i'd like your perspective on that
1: so well i it's the tv ratings essentially right that come out every morning at nine o'clock and saying you know what shows have had the you know the biggest audiences you know whether it's the finale the football's on, or whatnot and how many people tuned in to watch the final, you know, the set of origin and whatnot. So Nielsen is responsible for reporting those numbers. Yeah. Essentially those numbers are called the currency that is used to trade advertising space in the yeah. marketplace. Yeah. So essentially there can't be uh, multiple currencies. Think about simply in Australia, we use Australian dollars. There are multiple currencies around the globe but we only trade on Australian dollars. Yeah. So in the advertising world, um, you can only you know buy and sell ad space based on the TV rating numbers, the currency numbers that come out of Nielsen Media, which are the contracted provider to provide those numbers. Yeah. Um, so That's probably Nelson in a a very quick um, snippet of what they provide and the criticality of those numbers. Um, Essentially, the the rating numbers are the ones that then drive the everyday trading of advertising space, day in, day out. So there's people, there's eyeballs waiting for those numbers to come out every morning at 9am so that they can start doing their planning and forecasting journeys about the uh, about the people that have the potential have been exposed to a product or a service that was advertised last night. For example, if I'm if if I'm a, a brand uh, a brand of pasta or a brand of some past FMCG product, um, I've I've advertised during uh, programming. It could be MasterChef. It could be whatever. Um, And I've advertised in that because out of all the research that we've done, we've realized that the audience, the demographics that are more suited to our product are tuning on to watch this specific piece of content, whether it's on TV or online. So then uh, based on historical events, I'll think about the stock markets and charts and graphs, I think about the same way in the sense of historically this programming in this time slot has, you know, had about three or four million eyeballs watching it. Hopefully, they may not be all the people that are interested in my product, but hopefully 10% of that two or three million people, 10% will make an inquiry about the product that they've seen on TV. And out of those 10%, maybe 1% or half a percent will actually go and progress to actually acquiring the service or the product. Which means if I've advertised and there was three million people that tuned into a show, 10%, 300,000 people are potentially gonna be interested to make an inquiry about my product or go look at the service that they've seen. And 1% will then hopefully make a purchase. 300,000 to 30,000 or even 10,000. Is there 10,000 of that product in the shelves of those markets or stores available that are, are to be available that be able to be purchased. Yeah. Because as humans, we're only interested within the first three or four days of seeing or observing something before we lose interest and we move on. And that actually now is reducing a lot more to kind of you know, more 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, right. So if I've made an inquiry about something or if I saw something, can I jump online right now, read about it, and if I'm lucky enough, I can purchase it on the spot. Yeah. Mate. So it's about how quickly could I deliver the product to the person from the time that they've seen it or they've just found out about it. So uh, that that is then what these numbers are dictating. So if, uh, if 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 a brand has you know has put out an ad, they're waiting to see how many people have actually potentially consumed you know the ad that have come out or the you know the the product that they were promoting last night and then does that then translate to the numbers that they've had forecasting for and are they prepared if there's a storm of inquiries and customers and people wanting to you know take on that brand do they have availability or was it a waste because they can't service it so it's almost like
0: you know i've got this picture of a russian roulette table with some insider knowledge out the back, right? So, so where do I place my coins, right. right? And and all the while, Nielsen is is has got has got the figures on the insider knowledge about what might come up, right? In in a way, sense because you're you know you're able to identify the the thick audiences, in in relation to the media environment, yeah.
1: So think of Nielsen. As just the people reporting the reality or or you know is representing the people's voice, um, so we can tell you historically what how things have performed, yeah, but we can't tell you how it's going to perform today, yeah, right, today happens yes, right? yes, uh, because there could be a number of uh, obstacles or external factors that have changed since then. That so I've it's eyeballs given.
0: in review, basically, yeah? Correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And how has that changed? If you go back 14 years to now, oh, in terms of that media environment, we've got a very crowded space now, right?
1: Well, think of the landscape, right? You've, you've had a limited uh, number of options back in the days where Uh, TV traditionally as a linear broadcast is you sat down, you were told what was coming on and you just sat there and you tuned in when you wanted to because you knew this is the program you wanted to watch and it was going to be on at this time. Yeah. Now, I feel like we were kind of being dictated to or we were robots because we were told that's what's going to come on where now people have a lot more freedom and people have a lot more voice and they say, well, no, I don't want to wait you to tell me when I can watch this, I want to watch it anytime, yeah, especially if it's content that's not live, yes, and that could be available on demand. So, this is where the landscape has changed, and we've gone from you know, while traditional broadcast TV, the linear is still available, you've now got the BVOD, which they call it the broadcast video on demand, yes, which is all the programming that I've gone to air, I can go back and watch it and binge it. Maybe if I wanted to in you know, two or three hours, I can watch an entire series or a yeah, season yeah, yeah. of whatever. So people have a lot more control of their content consumption, not only on the time that they consume it, but also on the screens that they consume it. So that they can consume it on their phone, iPad, TV. And I think uh, TV essentially has become just a screen in the house. Yes. And that screen could be leveraged for many more uses rather than just sitting down and just watching whatever's on it. Yeah. I can start dictating what's going to be put on that screen. Yeah. Um, but also that means from a Nielsen perspective, the challenges then you know, grow drastically because the way that the Nielsen measurement works it's essentially you know, it's capturing, there's a, there's a little device or a meter that we call and that is placed on the screen and that, sc- that meter is then capturing all the content, the audio content that's coming yeah, out of that screen. So think about having a traditional home that may have had you know, two or three TVs because i have had you know, two in a bedroom and one in the main room, um, now is being fragmented to 10 and 15 devices and wow. think about those devices no longer being permanent in that location. Those devices are now moving around because they could be your phone, they could be your laptop. And you're not just waiting to come home to consume that content. You're consuming it on the train, on your phone. Yeah. Um, so the way of measurement has had to change drastically in that space. Um, and it's changed in a way that you've had to go from you know, just having a physical device or a meter sitting under a screen to then more smart tools on a software-based platform that are then being able to be integrated on these you know on the broadcaster's application on the devices themselves so that you could start capturing the behaviors and the content that is being consumed by the consumer um, the bigger challenges with that yeah then you think about COVID came about, lots more people watching and, you know, lots more people consuming content and whatnot. Um, Lots more challenges came with security. And a lot more people were, you know, have had, you know, where identities were robbed, information were leaked, a lot more companies were being attacked. And that's because there was a lot more people now working in so many fragmented places because, you know, they they're able to, you know, have work flexible, you know, work flexibilities. But then that meant they were no longer able to come into the, you know, the big building, the big office where all the data were centrally managed and stored and secured and whatnot. Now and it's you just could segregated. only access it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that then brought on a lot more challenges from the measurement perspective, in the sense of, you know, asking people Oh can I you know can I can I know what you're watching or can I put a piece of software on your device or whatever to be able to capture it like oh well I do all of my internet banking on this yeah it's gone from the day of the, the TV was the, the main place where I consume content to now the screen that I'm consuming this content on I is have, actually my, the same have my whole screen. life on this correct my entire <laughs> life is on it my banking is on it my work you know stuff is on it my confidential informations on it And now you want to tap into it and you want to know what I'm consuming. So lots of challenges have come out of that.
0: So for Nielsen, huge competitive pressures, I guess, in terms of, or just market pressures to figure out how does it need to refine its business model through that process to still deliver, you know, valuable audience tracking services to, you know, well, I guess to business owners, but, but media companies and the like. Um, to support the advertising Absolutely. model. Um, so that's you know, one really interesting issue. And I guess the other is, what does it mean for a, a business owner wanting to sell a product in that environment? Very, you know, very different environment to enter into if you're thinking of advertising, I guess.
1: Correct. And what does it mean to a business owner in the sense of, well, depending on the size of the business, is, um, you know, I've got much more, uh, plenty more options now to advertise my product. Yeah. And plenty of options, for me, affordable options yes. to bring my product in front of the, uh, the audience or the demographics who I think are more suited uh, for my product. So, you know, I think uh, I would say in, in coming years, um, we're gone will be the days of just us being able to sit and watch, uh, you know, watch content and an ad that might pop up that is irrelevant to me versus being quite targeted where you and I will both sit, and right now I think that's already happening, where we can both sit and consume content online, and the ad that I'm gonna get is very different to the ad that you're gonna get, and it's gonna be tailored based on my historical search criteria yeah. and search behaviors that I've done, that is now suggesting that because I've looked at something, I may also wanna look at this as well. Yeah. And so it's gonna be tailored. Advertising, which means it's very driven um, and it's very targeted to the individual, and hence it becomes more effective because people maybe don't have to skip over it because they have interest in it. Yeah. So, you know, you think about the footies on or, you know, a piece of content's on, people may record it because there might be a bunch of ads there that I want to skip the ad, so I want to fast forward it during that time because they're all irrelevant to me. Where now, Think about where now the product is actually part of the content, because actually I might also be interested in that product that's being presented to me based on some initial interest I've shown uh, historically when you know before I started watching this. Yeah. So I may not skip it. I might actually be interested to see it and know. Oh, actually, this is probably a good you know competitor to what I've been looking at.
0: Yeah. So does it make it easier to launch
1: a new product in the market as a business owner or harder? Do you well, think? it's both ways. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it, it's, it's neither easier or harder. It's, it's, it's certainly easier to launch. doesn't mean it's easier to uh, get the attention because there might be a lot more people uh, competing for the same eyeballs yeah. uh, with similar products, which means there's a lot more options. So it's about, well, you, it's about the strategy that then you have in place about the way you present it, but then how do you differentiate yourself from the others?
0: Is this, is this a sort of a, a watershed moment in, in businesses? Really, you know, it's easy to say, I'm a business owner, I understand my customer base. I'm, I understand my clients. But, but I wonder, do, do we really... Like, to what extent do we really know what our clients are like? What their purchasing behaviors are like? What their socioeconomic situation is? Why they go about what they go about? I mean, uh, mean, Nielsen's been in this place for for, for many years in terms of looking at audiences and their behavior. But it seems to me that we've now got the smarts with information technology and tracking and, and the proliferation of devices and access and what have you that, you know, as a business owner of any size, one, one can be a lot more defined about what their customer base is really like. Yeah. yeah? And and if that was the case, does, that, that's got to help in terms of positioning and offering, hasn't it, I would have thought.
1: Absolutely. And I think as a business owner, when you say, I know my customers, and I would say, based on what, on what facts and figures do yeah. you have to say that you know your customers and make the statement? And, and there certainly are successful business owners um, who actually are very in touch with their, with their customers and they know them. The question is, is that how frequently do the customer base change? And, you know, it's back to the thing of loyalty. Yeah. Where, you know, back yeah. in the days, if you know, you went to, you know, uh, you know, Jim the barber or whoever it was, is that you'd always go back to Jim the barber, where yeah. now it's like there's, there's plenty of gyms around. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to take the risk and trial somebody else for the, maybe the convenience not necessarily the cost, may not always be because it's cheaper, but it could also be because maybe more convenient for me to then you know, go to the barber downstairs while I'm at work. And then that saves me an hour to drive down to that location and catch up with my buddy again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because if yeah. I need
1: to catch up with my buddy, I don't just have to walk in there to catch up with him. I can just bring him on social media and say, hey, how are you going? I can call him, I can do a FaceTime, I can do, there's plenty more platforms now that I can keep in contact with those people then me have to go and see them to either consume the service or to catch up with them as well.
0: I think that's fascinating that that whole dynamic as a business value-up in our our business we look at various health factors to do with a business and one relates to what I call the client portfolio for want of a better word Um, and you know, we used to be very financially focused. We just look at the numbers. So we look at the split of what people are buying and how that's changing over time and what the margin was from your various client groups and and and, and loyalty. But we'd look at loyalty just on around, you know, repeat purchasing and, and the dollars from that, right? But now we look at the purchasing behaviours behind that. And if we're doing a valuation for a company, it might be a a reasonable size business. You know, it could be, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, even a hundred mil turnover business, or or it might be a small biz below five mil turnover, you know, but it varies when we ask a business owner, help us understand what you know about your customer base, provide us some information to dissect it in different ways you know, are they all homogenous? Are they all exactly the same? Do they behave differently? You know, how, what is the financial return from each? Um, quite often, it's an area where business owners struggle to actually provide meaningful information. And it's not because they they don't want to, because once they understand why we're looking, they say, oh, gee, never thought of it that way. Maybe we should, you know, think about it. But, but, Typically, I think we look at business owners look at sales as sales, and providing sales are strong and margins reasonable, well, the next thing we look at is expenses and profit, All right? And and it, it, it's a very superficial, let me tell you, view of the world. Yeah. Um, if, 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 and that's why I'm excited about what's going on okay. in your world and what you're talking about, right? Because. It's driving us to look more explicitly at what are the behaviours of our customers and why are they doing what they're doing? And in the knowledge of that, can we actually design our offering to provide more value to them or to address a pain point that they're clearly suffering and as a result, they're changing their behaviours, right? And if we could, you know, so so I think it's gonna unlock a lot of opportunity for, for business owners. Yeah?
1: yeah. I don't know. I've just got on my hobby horse there, but yeah, uh, it, it's absolutely. exciting, I think. But this is kind of the key things. And you look at a lot, a lot of the successful businesses, it's uh, generally after every single purchase or service offering that's been you know, consumed, there's always a feedback form that comes back. And that feedback, essentially, that feeds the build of the profile of the customer based on their experience. doesn't matter how big or small the customer is, that continues to build their profile about how much more information they know about the customer, not just about uh, the quality of the product or if they were able to use it or not. But there's also, we start to tap a bit more into the things that are important to them. Was it the quality? Was it the price? Was it the the speed of delivery of the service? Yeah. Was it them being able to speak to somebody here, you know, in country, somebody that, you know, they didn't really care about? Was it the way that we communicated that they were happy to just talk to us in text rather than, you know, being getting a phone call of us? So we start to learn more about the our customers and the behaviors or the way that they want us to engage with them because it's no longer Plain, you know, black and white about how we're going to engage with our customers because everyone has now got different priorities and we're all kind of running in this storm of things that we get to do every day. So we're all looking about convenience and we're looking about the way that we can get things. Faster, but also still maintain some sort of quality if that was of importance. If it wasn't then great I'm happy to change my TV. I'm happy to change my TV every 12 months But I'm only gonna pay 600 bucks for it versus paying $4,000 for a TV that might last me five years But I'm like in five years that TV is gonna be ancient and it's gonna be a dinosaur And I want to be up to the latest great and greatest tech So I'd rather spend very little money, but change it every 12 months. Then I've got headache-free if it ever breaks I just get a new one every 12 months but it's also covered under warranty you don't have to worry about it
0: let see I think you said before back in the day we were told what we would be fed in terms of our TV world but, but also I use that as a bit of an analogy for how customers were dealt with by, by many businesses and that's not meant to be a negative comment it's just how it was fast forward to today it's the the ultimate world of selection and and uh, self you know, sort of self design, so to speak, within within reason, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, as a result, that creates a very different competitive environment, um, and there's therefore the information on audience, on your audience, as a business owner, you know, you need to be onto it, and and I think you're intimating by by what you've just said about those changes that don't just accept that. You can move with a new piece of technology to to a, a silver bullet situation where you've solved it, because it's constantly changing. You're going to have to you have to, you're going to have to be used to refining yeah. what you do based on more information, new information.
1: And you think about every single brand, um, and I think historically, beyond the loyalties that we've spoken about, historically we were always being dictated to. Um, And there's a really, really um, basic example that I can just um, share with you, Um, not necessarily about technology, but just about brands. Um, You think about uh, a fancy sports car, like a Lamborghini, for example. If you I've got one in the garage. (laughs)
0: It's yellow, actually. I never, I I, I wasn't too sure
1: about the yellow, but. No, okay, just we'll go for a ride. <laughs> just um, but you look at su- such a brand, and this is a, a sports car, so, you know, and, you know, so, you know, it's, it's going to be very fast. It's going to look insane. And yeah. It's going to have two people in it. But then over the years, as the market has shown, is that people are, you know, people want to have a, a variety of cars uh, and it might be that they also want different sizes of cars and they want to have SUVs and they want to have sedans But they they still have loyalty to the brand But that brand is no longer giving me all the things that I want. So I'm gonna go somewhere else. Yeah So what did these brands do they've changed and they've had to adapt yeah. and they've had to go and listen to the people So what have the be- beginning just done. They've got a four-wheel drive yeah. You could still get the car. You could still get the badge. You'd still be paying the price but we see that it's not always about price with that market. It's about giving them the things that they want, and we've seen that they want this. So they want being, it in a bigger the, size. We're going to give it to you in a bigger. They've
0: prepared to be adaptable. Yeah, yeah, adaptable.
1: Same as you know, same as you know, Mercedes or whatever you know they you know if you drove a mercedes i think 15 years ago you would think are you 70 years old or are you 60 years old (laughs) now you look at you know people driving the mercedes and i think i've seen people the age of 25 driving mercedes yeah yeah. but they're in the sportier you know sportier hash that that's that's really nice and cruisy and, and it's still affordable for that marketplace so what do they have to do they had to still maintain you know especially with cars like they know they still maintain the safety standard they haven't dropped that but now they 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 have a a, an entry level and the high end level and that way they've got the ability to let people choose and not lose them yeah because as individuals we seem to want to dictate and have a lot more options and generally, we like to feel like we're in control. So I don't want to be told what to do. I want to- I want to have the control. I want to have the control. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to choose what I want, and if you don't have it, I'll just go somewhere else.
0: I think they're, they're really good examples. And um, some great insights there for any business owner listening, I think, in terms of just thinking about how to maximize your customer base and client base, and you know, go to the next level, I guess, in terms of adding value to that. Uh, you're a busy man, I think. Um, you know, your role with Nielsen is a pretty full-on one. What, 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 what do you do outside that? You've got a lovely, a lovely partner in Diana, and and th- I think three beautiful children. Is that right? Two children. Two children. Two children. Two children. Yeah. And, and, um, and you do a bit of running. I, 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 you do a bit of exercise too, I know, because I, 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 I do a bit with you. Like, how, how, do you, how do you keep things to a level, man, uh, in terms of, you know, the world's pretty, pretty wild and woolly these days. It's full on, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, it is full on. And um, I've, I've very quickly had to learn about uh, quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that just comes with products, but it also comes with time and everything that you do in life. Yeah. Um, And the focus for me, and you know, I I still struggle with that uh, to get sidetracked, but it's continue to do the things you love and they always become kind of a a healthy part of life rather than a chore. But also it's, how do I then ensure that I spend the quality time with the people that need the time of me rather than say I'm at home uh, for you know three hours a day, yeah? But you know, three hours, but I'm only paying attention for you know 15 minutes, yeah? So, yeah. have more quality than quantity, um, uh, you know, we're both. Um, very busy individuals yeah Uh, we're both uh, very (laughs) like-minded we click on really really well Um, and my wife is uh, very um, very business driven very um, you know uh, she's a very smart cookie actually (laughs) much much smarter than me Um, who keeps
0: each other in check do you keep each other in check or uh, is uh...
1: to be honest um, she's she's the water to my fire yeah Um, And not in a bad way, but also there's a really good balance between us both. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a very fiery person by nature. Um, I'm very sociable. I'm very approachable with people. Uh, And, you know, she is too, but she's not as much of an extrovert as I am. Um, so she's more. She gets more sociable with the people once she's been, you know, acquainted. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, That's perhaps more calm, yeah, the extrovert,
1: calming, calming influence. Are, absolutely. So she's my calming influence, but she's also, um, she's also my sense checker, as I kind of say. Yeah. Um, because I can have all the wild ideas in the world, uh, and the excitement, and the you know, the, the drive to go and do something. Without kind of having you know my, my, my sense checker as I call her, uh, and say you know what are your thoughts on this? And you know she's she's a very supportive person of of me, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, in every successful uh, relationship or couple yeah. or family, it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we are as strong as you know as our foundation. And, you know, for me, my foundation is um, I come from very, very humble beginnings, but um, I come from a, you know, my, my family remains to be my focus and the core yeah. of, uh, of my beliefs in the sense of if I've lost everything in the world, would I miss anything? Yeah. Or what will I take with me? What yeah. would I want to have? Yeah. And if it's my family, then they're the people that are going to be sticking by me.
0: Oh, that's pretty good, eh? And,
1: um, yeah, so that, that, that's where I, I spend my quality time yeah. with. Um, yeah. So I think there's a, there's a very healthy balance yeah. between, um, you know, the, the business and the personal. And I actually don't differentiate between them. No, I think that's that's interesting, isn't there's it? There's a very good mixture yeah. Um, in play here, because I think that every moment, um, every moment spent not doing something, somebody else is you know is is taking over somebody yeah, else, yeah. and yeah. That's, or that is an opportunity lost. Yes. Of you being able to do something or being able to accomplish something.
0: Yeah, I love that, Dan. Um,
1: yeah. But that's, that's been my, my, my phenomena in life, and that goes both between, you know, Diana and myself. Yeah. Um, you, know, we, you know, life could be very chaotic, um, but I find the time that there's a really good balance, whether it's when I'm exercising, whether when I'm in the gym, or whether when I'm running with individuals like yourself. so yeah, yeah. Kind of learning from that. I think every single opportunity that you have an interaction with become a business interaction or could become an opportunity of learning or could be an opportunity of seeing something that you haven't seen before that may be of interest to to, you know to for you to do something better
0: i mean the frustration i have is in running with you apart from the first few hundred yards um i see a lot of your back um you you you're an amazing you're an amazing runner, and you've you've in, you, you you've really achieved some PBs over recent times. I mean, what do you what do you feel when you run? How do you how do you how do you keep going that next level? Because you know you're you're you hard to get in front of. Um, that's well, my experience. i mean, not yeah. to say that I'm any good at running, but, no, but uh,
1: and I think it goes both ways. Um, and I'm not any good at running either, considering. I only started about two and a half, three years ago. It's amazing, yeah? Uh, And how far we've come. Um, But a couple of things to dissect there in some of those comments. So you may be seeing my back a number of times, but you also don't realize the value that you have on me seeing someone like yourself being very committed to the game or being committed to something that you do and rocking up and seeing those individuals is enough inspiration to say, these individuals can do it with such a chaotic, maybe life or I don't know what circumstances that they're going through, why can't I? Yeah. And they're kind of the things that continue to drive you and inspire you to then continue to, you know, the path that you have. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. So th- th- there's that sense of the community, the people that aspire me yes. and that motivate me to continue to push. The next element for me, even when I start, you know, when I've, you know, when I've been running and I've been running uh, on my own for, you know, very long distance and whatnot, um, it's an opportunity for me to be with myself.
0: Yes. Yes. Um,
1: and I see value in that so obviously the first value is i'm exercising but the second value is also i am spending that time with myself yeah right to have to think about maybe my day my week my plan of something i'm about to execute um and i've you know a lot of people actually look at me and sometimes laugh when i say actually i don't have anything in my ears when i run i'm afraid that i might drop a (laughs) you know an e-piece or so a headphone might be too heavy or whatever not even a phone right yeah um and but i find it as an opportunity to actually spend that time with myself and to, yeah. to listen to my own thoughts um and that actually keeps me distracted from what's in front of me and i just kind of keep going yeah. um so that that's another element to to me being able to leverage that time. And being able to not just run, but actually use it as my own personal time of thinking, and um, and planning about what my week or what my day may look like. Generally, my week and what I've got coming on. The other element of that, I feel like, it's also the commitment to the cause, in the sense of um, what it's what it's the perception of my life. Um, Now, being fit is, you know, it's beyond the personal gratification that you get from that, you know, you feel great about yourself and and whatnot, the health benefits. Um, There's also the aspect of the way that you present to other people. um, For you to remain at the level of fitness and shape and whatnot that you're currently in, That means that there's a lot of dedication and commitment that you've put into your life, to your fitness, in order for you to be able to achieve it and maintain it. Yeah. That, for me, also speaks volumes about the type of individual or person that you are about being able to commit to the cause and not running at the first sight of a challenge. (laughs) So... You know, it's, I don't have to tell you that I'm a runner or I'm a fit person. Generally, you may be able to see it without me saying a word. Yeah. But that may also then show the way that my life is kind of built or, you know, my values about being committed. Um, in many way, ways, I find that it actually serves you well in, in, in life, just in business.
0: I, I I love what you've taken us through there, Dan. I mean, I I, I want to summarise that just just to internalize it myself and and for our audience, but I won't do it justice. But, you know, if I've listened to you over the last little while, they're talking about, um, uh, uh, talking about your running, but also your family. To me, um, you know, my sense is part of your makeup is the strength of your family unit and and the reciprocation you get uh, in that bond. Uh, with Di- Diana and the team and and then you know you talk to us about networking and relationships early on and then you know dare I say I, I, I see a lot of your back and here were you saying but James you know all the while I'm looking at the community and the value that each of those people add um, as we go through that run or that life together in terms of how I network and Develop relationships, and I'm getting, I'm getting benefit from the strength that others are providing in their own journeys. And then finally, you know, to tell us that you're having a conversation with yourself, um, but also to talk about how individuals take care of themselves and what that shows in terms of their respect for themselves and therefore the people around them. Um, and those ingredients are, are very special, yeah, in any business owner or individual's journey. And so, um, I mean, I've got massive respect for you, but I really appreciate you joining us on this talk business today, Dan. My pleasure. Thank,
1: My you. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you James. very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That was Daniel Dewis, Director Information Technology at Nielsen and didn't he take us through a journey about how the media environment's changed over the last couple of decades, how information technology has changed and become more attainable um, as enablers for business people to enhance the productivity of their businesses. And thirdly, how important knowing your audience, knowing your clients, knowing your customer base and using information technology and what's happening in the media to be better informed about their needs, wants and how to add value to them. And finally, some critical personal tips on becoming a good individual and a good business owner and enjoying the journey. A great interview. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed it, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at James C underscore Price. And if you're up for improving your business, gaining access to knowledge, insights, our team and consultations, join our online membership portal. Visit jpabusiness.com.au.